I'd imagine the city very much trying to return to normal after the events in particular of this day last week, never mind the bombing itself uh, on last Monday week. But the, the surviving suspect, he has now been moved from hospital and brought to prison. Yeah, and the facility he's at, it's out at, out at a former army base called Fort Devens. It's a, a federal facility, and it has a, has a full uh, hospital. And there's a lot of pressure. I know a number of the families of the victims wanted him out of Beth Israel as soon as it, would, it, it was possible. Um, they didn't want him in the same hospital as the people he injured. So uh, good enough. Get, get him out of there. Okay, so he is, of course, awaiting trial, which is going to happen. But we had this situation yesterday. Michael Bloomberg, the New York City mayor, um, coming out with what what appeared to be pretty credible evidence that their next target after the Boston Marathon was to be Times Square. Well, what we know, I, I actually re- reported at first that they were on their way to New York because that's what they told the carjack, carjack guy, a Chinese fellow whose car they hijacked or carjacked. And uh, they told them that, you know... Um, we just killed a cop. We blew up the marathon. We're going to we're going to New York now. Don't screw with us. That's basically what they said to them, and they they were using his ATM card to um, get money out of his his bank account. They went to like several different locations and got the maximum amount as each one of them. Which, according to the investigators I talked to, that suggested to me they did not they did not have a plan that they were winging it, but they did say they were going to New York. Now I heard what Bloomberg said. And I have no doubt they would. They would when when um, a very very good cop, a young cop named Joe Reynolds, fo- followed them and interrupted them. That's when the firefighter. If you read my story today in the Globe, it, it, it's the TikTok of how it happened. And when Joe saw them, they were moving the bombs, the bombs they had from one car to the the SUV that they, uh, the the Mercedes that they, they at least they these guys know how to travel in style. They had a Merc and. Um, they were moving the bombs from one car to the next. Now, Bloomberg, what he said, I don't know where he got the intelligence. Uh, when, when I heard him saying that, I, it sounded to me like speculation, that unless they, unless they have evidence that they, they had co-conspirators there and they said, we're coming down there to bomb. But it, it, the, the way they, they, they fled, Jonathan, it, just, it was so ham-fisted and haphazard and totally unplanned. I, you know, it seems to me, I have no doubt that these guys, they knew every day or every minute they were out there was, could be their last. So I, know, I have no doubt they were going to use those bombs. But mm-hmm. whether they would have got to New York City, with, you know, the cops knew that car. I mean, that's why Joe Reynolds found it. He had a, he had a report on not only the, the, what the car looked like, but he had his license plate. And he just found it while he was driving around. And uh, what, what, a, what, a, what a heroic work by that cop, that young cop. He's like, he's like in his mid-20s, Joe Reynolds. He's just a kid. And he stopped there, and then they turned, and they started firing at him. And Joe threw it into reverse and um, got back. And just as he backed up, his backup arrived, because he was told not to engage them when he said, I, I have them in sight, I have them in view. And uh, then the firefight began, and uh, it was obviously chaotic. But uh, the other thing that happened is that, um, and by the way, you always, whenever I talk about cops and firefighters with you, they're all Irish. And, yeah, um, it does stand out. And a guy named um, Timmy Menton was there, and he was, on du- he was off duty. He was actually just did a detail, like a paid detail. And he was in his own car, and he drove right into the middle of the firefight, and a bullet went right through his windshield and almost hit him. And what he did was, I think, could have, 
this this was like a scene out of a movie. Timmy got out of his car, but he kept he put it in neutral and like flipped out the side and let it keep rolling towards them. And these clowns fired and they emptied their guns into the empty car. And every bullet that went into that car was one less bullet that was going to go into a cop. At the same time, Timmy Menton was doing that. There's a sergeant named uh, Jeff Pugliese. Jeff um, was heading toward the firefight, but he thought very quickly that, you know, I'm not going to drive into the middle of it. And he dro- drove up a side street because he knew the, the, these are the streets he grew up on. And he ditched his cruiser, and he ran through a bunch of yards, and he outflanked the bombers. He came up behind them, and then he, then he approached them from the side. And he shot, and he brought Tamerlan down, the 26-year-old. Jeff brought him down with a couple of shots. He thinks he hit him at least a couple times. And Jeff and a great Boston cop named Jared Giro, who's on our gang unit, he ran forward, and they, they basically grabbed Tamerlan. Now, they couldn't see where the younger one went. They have no idea where he went. And they, they cuff him. They cuff Tamerlan. Now, he's, he's very much alive at this point. And then, again, a scene right out of a movie. They hear a, a revving and a gunning engine. They turn, and here comes the young kid at the, at the wheel of the SUV, the Merc. And they dive. Jared dives one way. Jeff dives the other. And Tamlin's right there, and his brother runs him over, drags his body quite a distance. And the body comes out the back of the car, and, and, and the young kid gets away. And one of the reasons he gets away is that there was an officer down. And to be honest, we don't know if that officer was hit by their fire or friendly fire. So they're, they're all the cops are working on this guy. His name is Dick Donahue. He's a young cop on the transit police. And then um, my buddy Dan Linsky, who I was trying to explain this to people. You know, if you go into most departments in both, most cities, the, the upper brass, the guys that have the most stripes on their shoulders, they're kind of like desk jockeys. Dan Linsky is the chief of the Boston Police Department. He's the highest member in the uniform branch. The only person above him is Ed Davis, the commissioner, and he's the civilian. But Dan Linsky is the highest-ranking you know, uh, police officer in Boston. Dan Linsky ran up and grabbed this guy, and he told Jared, he yelled, look out, Jared, he might be loaded. When he said be loaded, he thought he might have a bomb on him. So Dan Linsky and Jared um, you know, basically ripped the clothes from Tamerlan, and they just try to they look for a device on him. Now, it's been reported that there might have been a device on him. Danny told, I talked to Danny at length yesterday. He told me there was not, nothing on him, mm-hmm. at least nothing they could feel. Because, you know, this is pitch black out there with lights and all the blue lights flashing. So then they, they get him, and, and Danny said, I said, what'd you do after that? He goes, I called for an ambulance. I said, that must have been hard. He said, that's what we do. He goes, we're better than them. He says, I know this guy killed women and children in my, my town. I know he just tried to kill us. He goes, that's the difference. That's the difference between us and them. And they got, a, got him an ambulance, but uh, they couldn't save him when they got to the hospital. They, it, and frankly, they believed that the fatal injuries were inflicted by his own brother. It was, the, it was the car driving over him and dragging him that probably killed him. He probably would have survived the gunshots. Uh, Kevin, there, there is one sad footnote on this um, and it was that the citizen journalism went awry and in mm-hmm. those early confusing hours after the photographs were released before that that pretty dramatic incident you just described that this young man Sunil Tripathi who was a, an Indian American student who was missing was wrongfully and wrongly identified on right. on the internet um, and, and this week um, they, they actually found his body yeah, that was a really sad case. And I mean, it sounds like his, if, if it was a suicide or whatever, it had nothing to do with this case. 
but was horrible for the family. And my colleague, Yvonne Abraham, did a column on this that'll break your heart, is that the family, which was struggling with what was going on with him, had the, you know, the added heartache of having all these idiots in the social media tweeting and sending pictures and saying that this is the kid, this kid did it. And he had nothing to do with that case. And I, I, I was talking to Emma, your producer, about this. It's just, you know, citizen journalism is fun, and, and, and sometimes it can be engaging. But when stuff like this happens, I guess I could only compare it to, if I needed brain surgery, I don't think I'd go see a citizen, journal, a, a citizen surgeon. Uh, when stuff like this happens, you really need professionals who know what they're doing, who have some standards. And as, t- as tragic as that kid, that, that's more pain for the family. But look what the New York Post did. You know, Mr. Murdoch still con- continuing his fine journalism. They put the pictures of these two kids, these Moroccan kids, on the front of the New York Post mm. and basically said they were the bombers. Yeah, now, I, I happen to know one of those kids, his teacher is a friend of mine in Revere, which is a, a town just north of, of Boston. And she said this kid is the most beautiful kid. He's 17 years old, and he's an athlete, and he's a great student. He's an immigrant from Morocco. He's afraid yeah. to come out of his house now. 